Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking podcast. If you're a first time listener, hit that subscribe button, write a review, share with a friend, help us grow. Today in the booth, we got special friend, Madame Marguerite. She's a sex activist, fetish specialist, and dominatrix. She breaks down a lot in this episode, including the sex work industry and common misconceptions, the sex discrimination laws that you don't even know exist, and why you should not be supporting OnlyFans. So kick back and listen up. Welcome back, everybody. We're here, honestly speaking, full force. My boys, Eddie and Michael. And I am so, so excited to bring on this guest, Madam Marguerite, my dog, my homie, my ace. How you doing, Madam? I'm doing really good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Just a little bit of background on how I met Madam Marguerite many years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, she was doing activism work around Five Points, trying to keep that going, uh, trying to stop the whitewashing of f- uh, Five Points. Hey, can you give um, us a little, what is what is the, you because y'all mentioned the Five Points. I somewhat am familiar with it, but for, for those who may not be. Madam Marguerite, you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So Five Points was the largest legal graffiti site in the entire world. It was 200,000 square feet covered from top to bottom in um, legal aerosol art. So, And this is in Long Island City, Queens. So you come off the 7 train and you get a 360 view of this whole beautiful, magnificent uh, building that was, you know, um, organized by a man named uh, Mears One. And we were the Five Points crew and we were just there preserving the art and keeping the, the neighborhood nice and clean and organized and, and artistic and creative. Right, and uh, we, we met uh, through mutual friends, Rose Bettina and that whole clique doing amazing work, hip hop, social justice, you already know, like the whole the whole thing. Um, and then, you know, Madame Marguerite's activism stretches across many different sectors, <laughs> and we're going to get into that. But I just want to give you the opportunity to speak a little bit about yourself and your work and how you arrived to where you're at right now. Yeah, I appreciate that. So um, I'm, a, I'm a professional fetish specialist and dominatrix um, located out in Los Angeles, California, And, you know, I basically what I do is I help people um, understand, accept and explore their sexualities, uh, particularly uh, surrounding kink and BDSM. Beautiful. How does like one get like what is the pathway to that? Like, you know, I, I have so many questions and I feel like for most of us, you know, we hear certain things about, you know, especially on the progressive side, like, you know, sex work is work. And I think where a lot of us are like down with general slogans, but just even taking it a step back, like, how did you find yourself in this profession? Like, what is that entry point? Well, you see, like, I was, I've never been straight and I've never been conventional. So, and these are things that I knew as a child and people treated me like I was kinky from day one. So I was nine, 10 years old and people were calling me kinky because they could tell that I was interested in girls. They could tell that I wasn't really interested in boys. So just having a sexuality that was not what people were used to, people were treating me like people call me a freak. 
People would call me kinky. People call me highly sexual. And it's like I wasn't highly sexual. I just understood my sexuality and I appreciated it enough to be true to myself. I understood that these, this was how I bonded with people. And so, you know, I saw a lot of people being, you know, forced into closets and really put down. And, you know, I, I got a fierce heart so I could speak up, you know, but it's not always easy. And I see other people that don't speak up. And so I've always been somebody that's been uh, uh, support for people that have unconventional sexualities and sex lives. And so people have always come to me for the work that I'm doing now. It's just now I'm getting paid for it. What is it about when you hear people who are just not heterosexual and sort of, uh, you know, mainstream, straight, people are always classified as just being automatically hypersexual. Like what, what, what is that about? Like, you know, if it's not a man and a woman, woman, if it's, if it's something that goes beyond that, there's just automatically degraded as just hypersexual, can't control their sexuality. And that's all they care about in a, in a very one dimensional sense. Where does that come from? I think that that's been pretty prevalent across the board for, you know, a lot of groups that are just not heterosexual. Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I, you know, I'm not sure where all the places it comes from, but I think that one of the places it comes from is I think there are a lot of people that just aren't willing to defend their sexuality. I think a lot of the people that say that sort of thing have things that they want to do, but don't have the courage to do. So when they see that I have the courage to be in a relationship that is the kind of relationship that I want to be in and not the kind of relationship that is going to give me brownie points from society, I think people see that as bold. And I think people tell themselves that the only way or reason I could be doing that is because I'm hypersexual. Like this is more like my sexuality is more important to me than other people's sexuality. That's how I perceive it. I wow. perceive it as these people having things that they don't have the courage to express and they see that I do. So maybe they put together that it must mean um, more brave or something. Wow. I remember um, I came out to LA and you hosted me uh, when I was doing my art exhibit for about a month. And this was the first time that I learned that you were um, involved in this particular type of healing. And it was just so deep to me. Like I learned so much. I didn't know anything really much about BDSM except what I saw in, in mainstream, which is like what, 50 shades of gray or something like that. <laughs> and I just remember being so in awe of like the things that you were uh, teaching me and showing me about the, he the healing aspect of it and also the policy work that you and your team are doing. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little more to that in terms of the service aspect of what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, BDSM is really interesting because BDSM, um, you know, people think that it's just like pain and just like uh, degrading yourself. And it's not really that. It's finding an apex between pain and pleasure and sort of merging the two together. So it's kind of like a gradual process. It's not, we don't go from zero to 60, you know, it's a gradual process. And so we're kind of training the body and training the mind to perceive pain in a different, in a different way. And, you know, a lot of things could come from that. Uh, people can explore trauma, people can explore dif uh, discomfort, people could build up their tolerances to things, people could work through uh, emotional and mental blockages, and just you know, having freedom and liberation is, is therapeutic in itself. 
And, you know, and then there's, you know, like I said, one of the reasons I got involved in this is because there's a lot of problems in society that make it so that people can't be free, that people can't fully explore and express themselves. It's one thing to say something is legal, and it's another thing to put roadblocks in people's way at every single turn. You know, if you treat people like garbage because of the type of sex that they're having, they're not free to have that kind of sex. Right. You know, that's not freedom. Freedom is being able to do it and not feel bad about it. Freedom is being able to, uh, you know, do these things and not worry about losing your job or losing your family or, you know, all these things. And that's just not the reality that we live in. We say that it's a free country and that it's a free world, but at every turn, people like me are being stopped. So it sounds like you are trying to create this, like this, this, this space for people to have this like healing journey, and obviously to have the ramp up to find that that uh, that kind of that middle ground between pain and pleasure. For your experience when you were going down this route, did you were there people basically like yourselves who helped you through this, or was it a bit more rocky while you were trying to figure out kind of your entry point into it? I mean, it was a little rocky, but. Um, you know, I feel like I got a lot of support and inspiration from the people that I was helping. Right. So I had a lot of people, you know, the gratitude that I got from people, you know, when somebody comes out of a closet, whether it's a, you know, homosexual closet or a bisexual closet or whatever kind of kinky closet, whatever it is, you know, the liberation and the gratitude is so immense that that was really what like fueled me. And, you know, um, having people look up to me, I didn't really have too many people to look up to, but I had a lot of people looking up to me and that was really uh, beneficial. What, G, you mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey. Can we talk about pop culture for a minute? Like, usually pop culture is very, they're so good at caricaturing really complex things. Uh, I think most people are familiar with Fifty Shades of Grey because it started as a book and then the movie. Um, what are some of the Madame Marguerite, like what are some of the pop cultural images or iconography that you're constantly having to like war against to be like, no, it's more complex than this. It's not like that. Well, number one, there's two things really. So number one is consent, right? So a lot of times we're watching in these films, the biggest problem I have with that film was he, he violates his partner's consent, which is something that we do not do in BDSM. There's a very clear line between um, assault and BDSM. And the difference is consent. It's not It's not a thin line. It's a very big line that you got to jump across. So that's number one. You know, nego we negotiate and we check in and we have safe words and, you know, we make sure that the situation is safe for everybody and everybody's being honored. And then the other thing is, you know, you see in these films, these people walking around like it's like it's easy. It's not a big deal. Like they're not going to get in any trouble. And it's not like that. Uh, people in my community who have children have lost their children because courts have deemed them as violent, even though they're not violent people. People have lost their jobs. People have lost their housing. You know, you see, you go into a building, a house will say, we can't discriminate against you because of your race or your ethnicity or your nationality or your gender or your religion, but it doesn't say anything about job. And if somebody finds, and what I do is legal, okay? None of the work that I do is illegal. All the work that I do is completely legal. I do it in the public. And, you know, I could be kicked out of an apartment if my landlord finds out and decides they don't like that I'm a dominatrix. They could kick me out. They don't have to have an explanation. They could just kick me out just like that. Same thing with banks. You know, I haven't had a bank account since I started using 
my title, Madam Marguerite, because my legal name is Marguerite. And I haven't had a bank account since. Every time I try to open up a bank account, they tell me that they can't they can't open it up and they can't tell me why. And there are people that have lost their bank accounts. PayPal has been closed many, many times, you know, um, and they keep people's money. And they do all sorts of things like that. And people go to prison for all kinds of things that are unrelated, right? So uh, sex workers have the IRS on us, right? So everything I do is legal. So there are people that are out to get me that don't want me to do what I'm doing, but they can't come after me for the work that I'm doing. So they do things like scrutinize people's taxes, you know, and things like that. So, you know, there's a lot of policies and there's a lot of internal work that needs to be done that I don't think people understand or comprehend. And I don't, I think there's a lot of things that people don't, don't understand how much damage they do by uh, making certain judgments. And, and can we speak a little further deeper into that in terms of um, the not like not having the knowledge to even know if you're perpetuating um, constraining people's social freedoms, like in this case, like what, like what are people doing? What, what are the policies that are involved that, like you told me about some policies I didn't even know about. And I was appalled. I was like, how come the whole world doesn't, like the whole nation don't know about these policies? So if we could speak a little more about policy, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the biggest thing that's going on right now, so there were a couple things that happened um, a few years ago. There was this, uh, these two bills that went into effect. It's called SESTA and FOSTA. And basically what they did, Stop Enabling uh, Sex Trafficking Act is what, what it was about. But, you know, there's all these uh, movements to stop sex trafficking. But number one, they are not led by people that are experts in sex trafficking. Okay, so number one, they're not led by the people that are trying to solve the problem. And number two, these policies are completely, you know, they don't think about anybody else that's involved. And what happens is, um, so because of these policies, some sites were being taken down. So there was a site back page where it was sort of like a public page where you could go on there, you could post things. And what was happening was sometimes people would post stuff that they weren't supposed to be doing. Right. So there was abuse going on and it was going on through the website. Well, these acts made it so that websites, the owners of the websites were responsible for everything that everybody does on that website. And some websites are not regulated. They do a lot of a lot of things that are really terrible. Um, right now, Mastercard has, because of those acts, Mastercard has had the power to now restrict how people use their cards and is no longer allowing people to buy porn from sites like Pornhub and sites like that. Now, the other websites are going to come are going to start crashing down as well, and it's possible that other um, credit card companies might be doing the same thing, which means that people will not be able to get paid for content that they make. And the reason this is a big problem mm. is because there's some sites, I was telling Genesis the other day, a site like Pornhub, there's two different types of porn sites. There's tube sites and then there's actual porn sites. And a tube site is a site where anybody could upload anything. They don't really have to be verified. You don't have to submit documentation and all that. But if anybody knows anything about the porn world in pornography, if you're making a porn and that could be by yourself, that could be me just talking to the camera, talking about my feet. It doesn't have to be people having sex or anything like that. Me by myself, if there's another person in the video and I upload that video to one of the sites, I have to have two forms. 
One form is to uh, prove that everybody involved knows that they're being recorded and that they consent to being distributed. The other one is a form that comes along with a picture of the person holding their ID to prove that they are of legal age and that they are aware and that they're consenting of this. But there are tube sites where you don't have to do that. Okay, you don't have to sign those forms. You don't have to present those information because the people that own the account, the site, they don't, you know, they don't hold anybody to those standards. So there's things like uh, underage people getting up there. There's things like um, videos that were supposed to be private being up there. There's videos of people being assaulted and really being hurt getting up there. And then the owners of the site, Pornhub, don't help victims. So if somebody reports, hey, I was assaulted and your video is getting 100 million views, the site itself doesn't do anything. And so the way MasterCard tried to combat that was by saying, okay, well, now you can't use our service, which, you know, that doesn't really stop the problem. That doesn't stop the problem. And that hurts a lot of people. That hurts everybody that's doing it legitimately and doesn't help anybody because those videos are still up. Right. But what would MasterCard do differently, I guess? Like, what, can, what, what do they have the power to do besides doing that? Well, first of all, MasterCard could turn around and say, well, you know, we have this power. First of all, MasterCard should mind their business. Financial institutions <laughs> should mind their business when it comes to other people's sex lives. A financial institution should not be telling you how you could use their cards. A financial institution that holds your, your money, a bank, should not be telling you how to spend that money. Okay, that's Thanks. not their business. That's not their job. They're not in law enforcement. They are in financial transactions. They don't have a responsibility to you or anybody for how you use their service. So number one, they should mind their business. But if they're not going to mind their business, then they should educate themselves on the issues and speak to people involved in issues and come up with solutions. If they really want to combat the problem, what they should be doing is making these websites hold themselves to the same standards that sites like Clips for Sale or Just for Fans hold themselves to, which everybody has to be verified. It took me three weeks to get verified on Just for Fans, and I'm famous, and they sponsor my convention. Mm -hmm. And it took me three weeks to get verified on them because they had to make sure that it was me, had to make sure that I could be contacted so that if I did something wrong, they could find me. So if MasterCard told all these other sites like Pornhub, raise their standards. you have to hold yourself to the same standards. You have to raise your standards. We're not going to let you do this unless you remove all these videos. That would be different. That would be more powerful. But just saying we're not going to let you, we're not going to let your clients buy porn from you anymore doesn't do anything. You touched on so many different porn sites versus tube sites. Can we, and, and I think like all of this is under this sort of larger umbrella of sex work. Who, which occupations count as being in the sex work industry? That's a great question. So anything that has anything to do with sex or sexuality is considered sex work. So you've got the people uh, that are most obvious, right? So you have uh, escorts, right? People who are doing full service, who are having outright sex with their clients. You have strippers, you have uh, dominatrices, you have cam models who only do it online, you have content creators that only make videos, you have um, anybody that sells sex toys or manufactures sex toys, anybody that markets, anybody that has a publication, like a magazine or a website, those are all sex workers. You got these people that are like, um, like cuddlers, 
um, anybody that's like an agent or a manager. So my, my, sorry, you said a cuddler. Yeah, there's cuddlers. It's like a cuddling service. Got so okay. you could like call it's people exactly and, like, what cuddle. it sounds like. Yeah, it's just just people <laughs> okay. are lonely and they want to cuddle, right. so they cuddle. So I looked okay. into that. I looked into that. By the way, I'm a great very cuddler. niche. I feel like pan. <laughs> I feel like that probably spiked during the pandemic. I think people need cuddling right. during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I know that my work spiked a lot. My work um, transformed. I'm not doing any in person sessions, but my uh, cyber sessions went through the roof. My clients were people that were only meeting with me once a month. Were now meeting with me like every week and. You know, we weren't talking about kink. We were talking about their dog and what's going on in the garden. So it went full therapy, basically. Yeah, basically. It is therapy. I think it's all therapy. That's what was was something that I just kind of... That was my conclusion after just being around you and your people for like a month, honestly. It was like, this is like... This is powerful spiritual work. Yeah. That's how... That's where I walked away with it, you know, so... It's just another form of a community, it sounds like. Like, people are all lonely in different ways and trying to find belonging. And this... It's seemingly like this is a a place of belonging. Yeah, for sure. Or even just G's point about therapy. There's sort of the mental, spiritual therapy. But even, I think, physical therapy. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing physical therapy for an, an Achilles tear, or I have been virtually over the last couple of months. But I could see this very much being in that category with whether it be BDSM or, you know, in-person sessions falling under physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't see why that wouldn't, you know, be part of that category. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of people um, in the profession that have uh, degrees in mental health and physical therapy. And just to, just to be clear, you know, I, I want people to understand that, uh, you know, sex workers and dominatrices, we are not therapists unless we are also therapists. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you do, if you need a therapist, you got to go to a therapist. But, you know, there are some therapeutic aspects to this that can be very beneficial. And one of the things that we train in is anatomy and just the body. So I have extensive knowledge about the nervous system and neural pathways. And I have extensive knowledge about the chemicals that course through our bodies and how to, you know, what these responses are and how to get those responses. And so I could trick your body into not feeling pain. And it's just a matter of, you know, a headspace, you know, it's just a matter of the order in which I do things to your body. So, you know, um, you got to know what you're doing, but if somebody knows what they're doing, it could be very beneficial and very therapeutic. Adam Marguerite, I want to use another pop culture reference. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Billions, but like Paul Giamatti and his wife have that relationship. But something I was just thinking about is interesting, and I wonder if you find it to be maybe problematic or maybe just my misinterpretation. I feel like at first it's like their kind of private relationship, but at a certain point in time, they, they kind of use his relationship with it to be almost, it, to me, it's almost like a drug fix. It's like every time he goes like off the rails, he needs that fix. Uh, and I wonder if that's like a problematic like example of looking at it as opposed to something that's more holistic. Well, you know, that's that's a type of behavior that's that's an underlining behavior. So in other words, I have seen that film, and the way he behaves is not a result of BDSM. He goes to BDSM because that is the way he behaves. So when I was talking about how people also need therapy, this is what I'm talking about. Because a lot of times people go to turn to all types of things to relieve 
mental health issues. And everybody has mental health, okay? So you don't have to be mentally ill in order to have mental health. Everybody has mental health. So when you lose your temper, that's a mental health break, right? When you can't take it no more and you start crying because you spilled something, that's a mental health break, right? So these are all responses, emotional responses that we have. If you respond to something in an unhealthy fashion, BDSM isn't going to solve your problems. It might give you a little bit of discipline if you have a, a, a dominant that's first in that. But these are, you know, people tend to say, okay, well, this is what's happening and this is what happened before that. So this must be because of that and not realizing that these people, these are underlying conditions and underlying habits that people already have. So with BDSM, you could either control it or you could use BDSM as another crutch to help perpetuate uh, bad behavior. Same thing with dominance. You know, there's people out there that are that's why i tell people do your research on who you're going to see because they're mm. dominance we are sadists okay so i am a sadist so when i see somebody you know struggling or something it makes me giggle it gives me uh, an excitement that's you know uh not necessarily usual but i understand that i have the emotional capacity to say if i see somebody being harmed you know, it doesn't matter if the way they're being harmed is in a funny way or not. They're being harmed. That's a problem. Right. So I have the emotional capacity to help somebody if they're in trouble. But there's a lot of people that don't. There's a lot of people that use BDSM as an excuse to abuse people. Mm. Right. They say, oh, OK, well, I'm just being dumb. Well, if they're not if they're not making sure that you have a safe word, if they're not respecting your guide guidelines and boundaries and they're violating your consent if they're convincing you to do things that you don't necessarily want to do that's an abusive situation that's not a liberating situation so you know making sure that you know what's healthy for you is really important when you go uh you know to a dominatrix because you know like i said we are we are not therapists some of us have mental health educations but you know, this is this is for entertainment and this is for release and this is for pleasure primarily. Important distinction. Yeah, it's a good distinction. All right. So 2020 happens and we have this little thing called a health pandemic, a global wide health pandemic, and people can't hang out in person anymore. They're all stuck in their houses, their apartments, wherever they may be. And I think I saw it was an article or something about how the traffic to Pornhub skyrocketed or something in like between March and April or whatever. But also, I think people also became more aware of OnlyFans, which I don't think I was familiar with before the pandemic. What are your thoughts on, and you mentioned just for fans, which I, I wasn't familiar with, which sounds like an OnlyFans competitor. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on 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 these new sites? Is Would OnlyFans and just for fans be considered a tube site versus... The points like how do how do you think about all of this and where things have been blowing up? Yeah, I can answer that. So OnlyFans and Just for Fans are not tube sites because they are, um, you know, they're very legitimate. So you have to prove who you are in order to get up there. It's not a free for all for everybody. So and then you know some of these sites are, you know, they perpetuate problems. Like um, the reason I mentioned Just for Fans and not OnlyFans, even though OnlyFans is more familiar, is because OnlyFans does this thing where they claim that their site, in their terms of service, you're not allowed to use their site for sexually explicit content, which that's all anybody does on there. It's supposed to be for 
fitness models. Okay, so OnlyFans is supposed to be for fitness models. So what they do is they wait until somebody racks up two, three thousand dollars that they're supposed to get paid out, and then they close their account for uh, sexually explicit content. Wow. So everybody that is subscribed to OnlyFans is subscribed there for the porn, for the sexual content. But OnlyFans is perpetuating the stigma against sex workers by criminalizing and punishing sex workers on their platform. And that's a problem. Whereas Just For Fans is a platform that was built by a sex worker. The, his name is Dominic Ford. He built it. He is a sex worker. And everybody out of like I forget if it's like five or seven people, but more than 75% of their staff is sex workers. So they don't pull that kind of nonsense. And they also have things like uh, data attachments, metadata to the video. So when I upload a video to them, let's say you download my video and you take my video and you upload it to Pornhub, which is illegal for you to do. You don't have permission to do that. Just for fans, instead of making me hire an attorney and go after you, which I can't do because I can't fight Pornhub with my attorney, just for fans will fight Pornhub on my account. And that's a big difference between a site that is uh, for sex workers and a site that's against sex workers, like OnlyFans, who shuts down people's accounts and keeps thousands of dollars. Shady business. So just for fans is kind of like for sex workers, by sex workers. Correct. Fubu. It's the Fubu. Yeah. <laughs> Marguerite. Let's go. Let's go. Power to the people. That's right. Power to the people. G alluded to some of your activism work. We touched on five points. In terms of like sex activism or sex work activism, which cities have you been uh, mostly participating in? Like which cities are have the biggest movements? Like what a, you talked about some of the laws. There's clearly a, an invisible structure here that most people are unaware of. Right. That is this, this, this larger discriminatory structure that can put people out of house and home. Right. Which cities have you focused mostly on? And then within that is it state law is it local where's where's federal in this like how does can you talk about that a little bit well i'm uh you know i'm a strong believer that it's really important for everybody to do work locally right so if everybody does the work locally then all of our problems will be solved so i try to stick to where i'm at so i did a lot of work in new york and i'm doing a lot of work here in la and some of it is national across the board some of it is um, by the state and some of it is by the county. So one of the things, one of the big issues that is like really should be federal is decriminalizing prostitution. If prostitution was decriminalized, then there are a lot of supporting policies and laws that fall under uh, prostitution that would be vanquished, right? So that would solve a lot of problems. And also prostitution, I don't know if people realize this, but prostitution is a misdemeanor. It is a lesser crime than jaywalking, okay? But people people go to jail and do serious time and people's lives are, are ruined. One of the biggest victories that I could talk about was a local victory that might you know, hopefully it'll go national, but uh, I worked on a bill called SB 233, and this was um, spearheaded by um, somebody up in San Francisco. And basically what it did was previously before this bill, if you 
were participating in a minor crime, let's say you were doing a little bit of drugs or you sold a small amount of drugs or you were in the middle of doing prostitution, something that is considered illegal, and you witness a violent crime or you were involved in a violent crime, somebody hurt you, right? So let's say there's a, a prostitute, a sex worker who's uh, just been beat up by a client. That person could go to the police department and the police department is not obligated to, uh, you know, follow up on any crimes. That's something that people don't realize. They think that if you report a crime, they have to uh, investigate it. And that's not the truth. So what was happening was people were getting assaulted. People were seeing mur witnessing murders or kidnappings or whatever and going to the police and saying, hey, I witnesses and police were saying, OK, but what were you doing? And they were like, OK, well, I was in the middle of a, a you know, transaction or I was doing drugs or whatever. And the police would arrest that person instead of following up with the violent crime. So a prostitute could go in and tell a police officer, I've just been raped, I've just been beat up, or I just witnessed the rape, or I just witnessed the murder, which is a serious crime, and the police wouldn't investigate that, and they would just arrest the person that was reporting the crime. The other thing that was going on was, um, and this is across the entire country, police can use condoms as evidence of prostitution, even if there's no other evidence. So in other words, I could be coming out of a, a grocery store where I just bought a box of condoms and I could be pulled over by police and police can arrest me for prostitution because I have a box of condoms with me. So if you have more than three condoms on you, and in some states it's more than two. So if you have more than three condoms on you, that is evidence for prostitution and that's enough to arrest them. So SB 233 combated both these issues and made it so that police cannot do that whatsoever in Los Angeles. It, first it was in San Francisco, passed there, and then came down to uh, Southern California. You know, we were a small group of lobbyists. We learned about the bill. We learned about the problems. We got a list of all the people that needed to vote on it. We went to the Senate, went to the Assembly, and that bill passed unanimously on both votes because wow. we went and told these people about this bill. They didn't even know what the bill was. Okay, the senators didn't even know what the bill was. They didn't know what the issues were. They didn't understand what the problem was. Okay, I had to teach them the problem. I had to explain to them what was going on because they didn't even know this was going on. Because how are you going to know you, this is going on if you didn't experience it, if you're not in the community? If you're right. not talking to the people that are experiencing it, you're not going to know what they're experiencing. Because these are things that doesn't broadcast that he arrested somebody for reporting a crime. That's not something that they broadcast. They're not proud of that. You know, they're not going to go on on social media and talk about, well, you know, we didn't arrest the rapist, but we got the prostitute. You know, they don't do that. So these are things that need to be talked about. And it, I mean, to be honest, it really wasn't that difficult. It was very, very easy. I went in. Wow. I said, I'm this person. You know, listen, I, I let them know who I was. I let them know I run a convention and I've got thousands of people that are listening to me and I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell them exactly how this conversation went down. So were you voting yes or no? And they say yes. <laughs> yes. So, but you know, if you know who you're talking to and you just do a little bit of research, it didn't take us long at all to get that done. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, what are kind of the models or, or cities out there? I mean, in a, I think most of us who don't know a lot always think about Amsterdam as like a place that was historically more progressive. But I'm curious of like what cities or countries or places out there that are inspiring that you think are, are, are on the cutting edge of this, if there are any at all. But, you know, what, what kind of models are out there that we're looking to replicate? potentially? You know, I think that there's um, 
you know, there's a few places that are kind of doing it all right. Um, I think I understand France has some policies where they're kind of cool with people. But, you know, I mean, every place has problems. You know, everybody, every place has problems and every situation, every country has uh, different societies and things. So I, I actually think one of the big problems is trying to replicate other places. Like, we're trying to do that right now. We're trying to replicate the Nordic model, which uh, doesn't, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's disguised as a feminist uh, movement, but it's really not. So the Nordic model, what that is, is where um, the provider, so the professional doesn't get in trouble, so the sex worker won't get in trouble, but the customer will. So, you know, that's not helpful either, because if you're arresting my clients, then you're taking food out of my mouth, you know, and you're making a decision for me. Right. So, you know, you're arresting clients because you don't want them to abuse me, but then I'm not getting my bills paid. So who's abusing me? You are my client. You know, so we can't really replicate other places. We have to address the problems that we have and we have to address those and we have to come up with policies that are by us because there's no country in the world, as far as I know, that built their policies on the voices of sex workers. They, they build their policies over our voices. In keeping with the, the comparison with other countries, is the United States uniquely draconian when it comes to our structures and policies against sex workers as compared to other countries that may have problems, but United States is almost kind of in its own category of discrimination? No, yeah, that's definitely a true, that's definitely a true statement. And the other thing that plays a huge part in America that I believe probably doesn't play as much of a huge part is racism. <laughs> the people, it's no surprise that the people that suffer the most from these policies are black women. And there are countries where, you know, racism really isn't as acceptable, isn't as casually acceptable, isn't as socially acceptable, where in America it's very socially acceptable. So it's a lot easier to, uh, you know, that same problem with the HIV and AIDS epidemic, right? So right, the right. reason it was so bad here and not as bad in other countries is because of the way we treated the people that we saw getting HIV. You know, there were people that were, uh, we saw it in the in the gay community. It was labeled as a as gay illness. It was labeled as a drug user's illness. And because America has a class system that we pretend we don't have, those issues were not being paid attention to. Whereas in other countries, they didn't care who you were that had it. They were like, okay, there's a problem. We need to solve it. And in America, we have a lot of issues that, you know, I mean, racism, as you know, I haven't been to other countries, so I can't say maybe there are other countries that are more racist than America. Maybe the UK is more racist than America. I, I can't nope, really say. No, we're the best. We're the best. We are number we're one. Racism. We're number one. We got that in the bag. We got that. But, you know, so then we have a lot of different types of discrimination and all that plays a factor into this because it allows people to say, well, it's those people affected by this. And that's what America does. America others people. And if you're in the other group that American society deems unworthy of justice and rights, those groups don't get justice and rights. Whereas it's not like that in other countries. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good point. This has been so insightful. I'm just like been on the edge of my seat. Just like listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, Madam Marguerite, um, 
before we close out, is there uh, anything you want to kind of shout out to our audience, any place where they can kind of learn more about your work, more about your activism? Yeah, absolutely. So there's this big place called Sanctuary LAX, and it is a uh, cornerstone for BDSM and the King community. We have a lot of events here. We have a lot of political and social events. We have classes and parties and all sorts of things when we don't have a pandemic. And, you know, we've been closed for a year, so we're struggling a little bit. But y'all could help out by becoming a member. Our website is a complete social media platform. We've got programming. We've got TV shows. We've got, you know, uh, you could contact other people. And that's at SanctuaryLAX.com. So for ten fifty a month, you could become a member, and that'll uh, provide us with, like, long-term sustainability to keep the place open. So that's SanctuaryLAX.com. Join that. I got two TV shows that I broadcast every week. Um, one's called In the Spotlight. Another one's called Madam Smarnicky. So y'all could check that out. And then my personal website is madammarguerite.com. So if you want to see uh, my content and my videos and sort of the things I do and read my articles, that's madammarguerite.com. So that that's what I want to shout out. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was a real pleasure. I really appreciate the platform and I appreciate the opportunity because this is how we're going to really make progress by getting this information out into the mainstream and talking to everybody and talking about the real issues and not just the fun, sexy issues. So thank you. Word. Real issues. Facts. All right. Thanks, y'all. All right. Peace. Peace. Peace.